Welcome to Punch Card Investing, a weekly show dedicated to all things value investing. Whether it be analyzing companies, pitching ideas, or discussing moves by the best investors in the world, we're trying to get one step closer to punching an investment off of our cards. Let's get started. I'm in any bit intro controls because I, I realized that I didn't need to loop the audio so the guy doesn't keep talking, but I forgot to loop the screen. So we came on a bit early there. But um, we've uh, gone to our stellar reserve bench and brought Jason back in this week. Good to have you back as well, Karan. Um, how you guys doing? What's been happening? Now well, people know that intro man isn't actually here on video. Shit. <laughs> exactly. Tom, what comes to my mind when you're talking about the intro is that I guess people attribute it to Einstein that the highest form of genius is simplicity or something like that. I feel like we're maybe not doing a genius intro setup but absolutely I'm glad, not. glad you're handling it and and not me um uh, tom yeah. I, <laughs> I was ready to go uh people kind of make a joke that i sit around on fridays and wait for you guys to call me and like one out of every 10 times you do but why don't you tell people what happened tonight when you thought about texting me today to invite me on the yeah. show oh. yeah that that was actually insane i don't know if jason so what happens for people that that are unaware is when we when we need to pull in Jason, it's often very last minute because um, we're not quite sure what's happening with people's schedules and stuff. And um, you know, I think Jack's traveling, for example, at the moment. Um, Brad, I think, is maybe sick, and so I usually send Jason a pretty last minute WhatsApp message. Um, today, when I opened WhatsApp, which um, we were we were in town, had just got ice cream actually, had gotten on the car, thought I'd better shoot Jason a message before I get home. And as I was typing the message, hadn't sent it at all. I don't think I'd even completely finalized exactly what I want to say. He must have just been sitting there on WhatsApp and it said Tom's typing or something. He said, I'm in. Um, so yeah, Jason, Jason's on the show. So I had to just clear that message before I even sent it and said that that'd be great. No, I'll send you the link. So um What's the story there, Jason? Do you just are you just sitting there staring at WhatsApp on a like on yeah, yeah, Tom, yeah. Signal, That's much. exactly what I'm doing. I'm sitting around waiting for you guys to call me. That's what I'm doing, sure. No, uh the truth of the matter is, uh, as I've seen with some of my stocks, as Karan has seen with some of my stocks over the last year, I think I have lucky timing. I think I have really good timing. And I just caught you at the right moment there. But just nailing um, the bottom. Yeah. yeah, nailing the bottom, nailing Tom's text. So Thanks for having me on. Been uh, missing you guys. Looking forward to talking to you. And um, it's an exciting start to the year. Yep. Yeah, it's good to have you back. We've got Luis uh, thinking maybe you're outside my house. <laughs> although, although, like I say, I wasn't even at my house. So um, if anything, Jason's yeah, no. following me around town. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure how that's happening. He's converted from oh, um, the super chat green screen from the back, I suppose. Yes, thank you very much, Louise. For thanks, Louise. Uh, right, what's the plan tonight? Hey, guys? Hey, hey. I think you oh. guys want to answer his question. Uh, my bad. Have you read the big short? Fantastic. Uh, I haven't actually, but I've watched the movie movie probably too many times at this point. How about you guys? I see him. I never saw the movie, but I've seen so many like clips of the movie online and uh, just stuff like that where it makes me think that I didn't read the book, but uh, well before the movie, uh, I did read the book and um, 
very, very good boat. Was there something yeah. more appealing about Gravity Falls Pops when they explained like, you know, they were in the movie? So the book kind of doesn't um, explain it as well. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, I remember from the book, I, I felt like I got a good understanding of fr from the book. And what I remember is kind of something that Mona is because he's talking so much about asymmetric bets. And that's something I'm trying to always keep top of mind. But my understanding with credit default swaps was the the premium was so cheap that it was like a small bet and you had a limited fixed downside. And then the upside was huge. And I guess Bill Ackman did that with... Uh, something similar with the price of corporate bonds as we went into the pandemic, I think. But uh, I, I, I must have got that from the book because I never heard that before that book. I mean, I think Margot Robbie explained it pretty well too. So that's kind of what I was referring to. Uh, but sure. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie. Yeah. yeah. That's a reason to watch it if, if you need one. Purely for the explanation. But like, that was also a good explanation, right? Yeah. You nailed it, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the book was good. You know, I like reading the written word. You can sit down, really think about it, not get distracted. Fair enough. Um, well, we've got lots to cover tonight. So let, let's maybe cover a couple more things on Michael Bari before we talk about some other topics. And if people got questions that, um, yeah, for any of us, pop them in the chat as well. Um, the reason I put Michael Bari in the title is because I uh, stumbled across these. Um, these are like... Michael Barry's old uh, Scion letters from the early 2000s the other day. Um, read through them and they're really good, actually. I, I was sort of I was sort of expecting, having seen the movie, like a lot of macro chat and, um, you know, talk about some of the bets that, that he was making there. And there are there is a 2006 letter, I think, in this print-off that, um, that goes through a lot of the questions he was getting from investors and that type of thing, which you, which you see in the movie. But uh, in the early years of his fund, like from... 2000 to 2002, I think uh, most of these letters cover. He ran like a, a fund that would be pretty typical of a lot of the people that we follow, like a very concentrated um, value investing fund. He did a very a very minor amount of shorting, but it was mostly long only. Um, the only thing that he was really doing that was maybe a little more specialized is he tend to focus, tended to focus on sort of smaller cap, more liquid stocks. Although he did like openly say in a lot of those letters that he would move to larger cap stocks if, if they were more attractive, it's just simply he, he was finding more opportunities in small cap stocks. So um, I found that really interesting. I shared a, a couple of um, screenshots from one of the, the letters on Twitter the other day about um, Barry talking through, volatility being quite different from risk and like a speech he gave where um, basically no one agreed with him, which I think Barry's probably experienced a fair bit of that through his career. But um, yeah, I've been learning some good stuff from there. Have you guys read those letters or, or um, heard any of those types of lessons from Barry? Oh, I've I just agree. got the list, the things. So no, I haven't read it, but yeah, something on the to read list. Yeah, I didn't know the letters were out there, but I'm going to look those up now. Um, and I've, I feel like I've been kind of getting to know Michael Burry as an investor for the last like year, year and a half, and still trying to figure out his style. Um, it seems, I guess it's just kind of value anywhere. Is that maybe his style, no matter? Essentially, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I've, I've, I follow his 13F and um, keep an eye on what he's doing, like uh, – I was reading value line this week and they were talking about Q rate. That was the, one of the stocks that was 
covered that week. And uh, at the end of the write-up, it it said that uh, Michael Burry had been buying. So definitely someone I, I keep a, keep aware of what he's doing. Yeah. And, and um, maybe a, a little gold nugget in there, which is, I don't know, for the really nerdy investors like us who who like this kind of history, um, it's kind of similar to the the little bit of history you picked up, I think, with um, with Buffett's Oxy investment. Um, oh, Jason, yeah, yeah, it kind of reminded yeah. me of that a little. But um, so when when Barry was first starting his fund, he he wrote about this in his letters that he got approached by two different parties who were interested in taking an ownership portion of sort of the management company i think scion capital and scion value fund was was the official fund uh one of them was joel greenblatt which i did already know about that um i think joel greenblatt had stumbled across you mentioned um, it, I think. yeah i think he'd stumbled across some of his blogs and i know barry had won a few of the prizes on the value investors club for memory as well i think he's uh, those old so, write-ups yeah. are still on there yeah um but the other one that the uh, the second party that was interested in taking a stake was um was a business called White Mountains Insurance Group. Have you guys ever heard of that? No. So, so White Mountain White Mountains Insurance Group at the time was, uh, I think, um, uh, traded on the New York Stock Exchange, and it was run by a guy called Jack Byrne, um, who was the man that turned around Geico and Buffett used to call him the um, the Babe Ruth of insurance, I think. <laughs> and about a about a year into running the fund when these two parties had taken a stake in in Zion Capital. Um, Buffett actually invested about $300 million to acquire something like 16% of that insurance company. So Buffett himself actually had a very, very small, like indirect kind of exposure to, to Zion Capital in the early days. Oh, did they end up, he ended up doing a deal with uh, those two parties? He did do a deal. Yeah. So he, he gave away um, a portion sort of the, the asset manager is how I understand it. So like, some of the fees earned from the fund um, with the idea that he would be able to raise a lot more assets under management and it would be more than worth it to give away that, that bit of equity. That's, that's how I kind of interpret it. Cool. Nice. So, yeah, I thought that was no, a cool bit of like investing cool, history. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of crazy how, um, <laughs> how connected all these people we follow are. It's sort of weird. But, well, it's very, very, it seems like it's very rare and difficult to get like really outstanding investment results. Um, so if people are doing it with similar styles or they've learned from people, people just kind of seem to connect, whether it's at like the Berkshire meeting or following the super investors, some super investors know each other and then things kind of go from there. It does seem like a very small world at the top. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, got a question here from Frank. Uh what are your thoughts on Barry's incorporation of technical analysis? Now, I should say this is actually something that I haven't seen this at all in Barry's letters. So uh, maybe he's talked about it somewhere else. I'm not sure. I think Brad mentioned it last week. But Oh, I think I saw it. Maybe it was a Brad video on this or, or maybe it was one of your videos. But um, was this about charts? and the? Oh, it was Brad, I think, talking about if Barry had said something like, he he wants to see the stock come off the low a little bit so he knows he's not buying going into the law or something like that. I, I'm not yeah. super familiar with it, but uh, any like thoughts on that? 15% or 20% within the law or something, right? Isn't that the <clears throat> thing that he looks for? Something so, like yeah, that. Something like that. Yeah. I haven't done yeah. any of that myself, um, but I will say like, as I invest more and more, you start to learn about what all the different 
pieces of data are that are out there. And like one thing I never would have thought I would look at a couple of years ago, but I look at sometimes now is the historical data to see how many shares have been traded. And so like when something jumps, I'll, I'll look and see if there's like a weird number of shares being traded and or something like that. So um, yeah. yeah, I haven't looked much into that though. Yeah, we've got um, Matt saying he writes about it maybe in his old blogs. I forget where. So possibly in another, in another source. Um, he, he does talk about a couple of like just weird technical, more market things than like technical analysis or, or charting like um, around people tax loss harvesting towards the end of the year on stocks that um, are already down a lot and him kind of taking advantage of those quite aggressive downward movements towards the end of certain periods of time and stuff. There's a little bit of that in there, but it's largely just price focused from what I can gather. I find uh, learning more and just seeing every day how the, the overall market works and how that affects individual stock prices. Sometimes understanding the arena you're in, I found has been helpful. So like uh, the way it's been helpful is it, it can kind of help you uh, not get, worried if the stock price drops a lot or if there's a huge run up in price sometimes you you'll be able to tell what's going on so like that end of the year thing the tax loss harvesting apparently that's like a super real thing and so if you're holding something and maybe you bought it like three months before that and it's a new position and you're you're pretty confident going in and then all of a sudden it drops 25 percent um it could be that you're at the end of the year and that could help explain what's going on so you don't get worried and maybe um incorrectly think you're wrong about the actual value so definitely understanding all that kind of stuff i think is uh helpful i think even what we're going through right now with the whole everyone buying back into the stuff that was tax loss harvested that's kind of what resulted in a lot of stocks just flying this month see i had i I hadn't even thought about that or put that together but i had i had been thinking like what is going on like so much stuff that was beat up is uh last year is, is up quickly this year and I was wondering, was it just like a calendar year? Like there's a new spirit in the market, like a bunch of different people are getting back in or something. But now it makes sense. It's, it's technical It's literally analysis. called the January yeah. effect. Yeah. Yeah. Don't for it. Yeah. yeah, it's very weird. What's <laughs> going on with, um, I, don't know, I was going to make a joke, Tom. I'm sorry. Say it. <laughs> Go for it. Going on with what? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was wondering if that's going on with Thor. With Thor, possibly. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. You don't check What's the price. What's happening with Thor? Gotcha. No, I, I, I check I the price. Is it is it come back the, at all, or is it kind of floating flat? Uh, no, I think it, it's up a little this year. Um, yeah, it's up a decent chunk off the lows, but nothing too crazy. Um, well, um, we're no, we're talking stuff you're known for here. Thor, banks. Uh, I thought of you this week. I just want to throw this out there quickly. Um, I've seen. You know, is that unusual of, for you to for you to think of me this week? Or <laughs> <laughs> no, no. What is it? What is it? Um, I've been seeing a lot of bank insider buying, like just across the board at all these small banks, and uh, made me think of you. Just wanted to let you know I've I've been seeing that, and I don't know if banks have been beaten up or or what's going on, or if they're excited by the higher interest rates or something. But um, I've been seeing a lot of bank insider buying. Interesting. Anything that piques your interest that you're going to look deeper on or? Um, Honestly, no, because banks uh, are just banks and anything that's like very uh, deals with loans and stuff like that um, for, for the most part. 
Uh, there's a, one or two exceptions to that, but banks and financial institutions and insurance companies, I really find myself just kind of not drawn to them, kind of not excited by them, but also just not not drawn to them. Um, so just the that business in general and also not understanding them that well. So I've, I've kind of ruled them currently outside of my circle of competence. And um, I've been tempted in the past where I'll see like Berkshire Hathaway buy Citibank and I'll go, oh, maybe I should buy Citibank. But I really have just really kind of left them outside of my circle of competence. And uh, in the last like six months, kind of just made peace with that. So yeah, you, you've been in Bank of America in a small way in the past for memory. Is that, I, I is that think, just a straight clone or something? I or? think like in 2019 uh, when there was like that crazy December month or or something like that. Maybe it was late 2018. I can't remember. Uh, but Buffett was in a lot of banks. Like he had bought a lot of banks uh, or Berkshire Hathaway had. And I, I kind of cloned, cloned that at the time and was in it for a short time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I I I've learned a lot about banks starting. Well, it's easy when you start from basically nothing. Kind of last year, um, I feel I've learned a fair amount about it. But um, uh, yeah, I've said this a couple of times. I feel like I would be very uncomfortable with most large banks just because there's so many moving pieces. Um, and they're you, a little smaller, and they uh, do one or two things. It's, one thing I've so commonly funny. heard is people always go, "Well, I like this bank; it looks cheap, but..." I've got no idea what's going on with the loan book, or I've got no idea what's going on on the inside. Is that just the way it is? Or is the only thing you can kind of do is like, look at the track, the quality of the loans they put out there and their, their decisions as management, or is or is that, but I guess my question is, is that really, it is how it is when you look at a bank from the outside that you don't really get a chance to know what's going on. Like people say. Uh, I think to a pretty large extent. Yeah. Uh, like you can get a feel for what they're doing and history can tell you a lot of stuff about um, the quality of their loans over time, that, that type of thing. Yeah. And you can look at some quantitative data around, you know, how leveraged they are and that type of stuff. Um, you know, potentially if they're writing slightly riskier loans, but they're far less leveraged than the average bank, maybe it still makes sense. But I find it hard when there's lots of, lots of moving pieces. Have you come across any serial acquirers or spawners through acquisition um, when you've been looking at banks, like any banks that like their business model is to buy other banks like all the time and grow earnings per share that way? I haven't seen a lot. Um, yeah, uh, people would probably argue with me on this point a little, but I don't know if there's a lot of economies of scale to banking to a large extent. Um so, yeah. Well, the reason I ask that is because when I look at banks, a lot of the times I'm not attracted to them because I go, well, how does this go from one to 30? Like, how do I get a 10 bag or how do I get a 20 bagger? And I was, as I was corrected on a book club podcast I did the other day with someone uh, on the stream right now, well, was a 10 bagger from the bottom in 2008. But, uh, say that again, Karan. It was Bank of America. Okay. Correct me again. I'm sorry, Karan. Bank of America. Um, but as I told Quran during that, that seemed like an outlier time, like 2008. And so, and I'm, I'm just wondering, like the, all these like smaller banks, uh, some of them I've sent to you that have like a state in their name or something like that. And they run in part of the country. I just always wonder, like, how do they go up 10 times? Um, or is that even not the business model most of the time? Is most of the time the business model just to kind of like make a nice return? I think it's probably more the latter. Yeah, I think you can you can find 
banks that earn much higher returns on equity than the average US listed company and they often trade a little cheaper and yeah, if they're doing intelligent things with that cash like repurchasing shares or even just paying it to you as a dividend um, if I if I'm looking for that kind of bank, someone that goes out and acquires and grows earnings per share and like try to get 10 or 20 bagger out of it, would I be looking for uh, loan asset growth year over year, like a chart that shows the amount of assets they have, the amount of loans they have out there just goes up year after year, like in a large way? Is that kind of how you'd look for growth at a bank? Uh Possibly. I guess it depends how they're funding those loans. So you'd want to see deposits going up okay, at yeah. a similar rate. Um, yeah, I don't know. Probably book value growth would be simplest. Gotcha. Tom, yeah. have you found something similar to Hingham in the you know the small regional banks? Or is Hingham still like the main focus for you? Uh, that's the only one. Well, that's the only one I've looked really hard at. Yeah. I, I've... I've um, I've spent some time on others and passed fairly promptly, <laughs> like some of the big banks, for example. Because I remember you mentioning some New Zealand regional banks that you looked into at some point. Uh, yes, I actually never looked into that. I, I think it was maybe Heartland Bank from memory. I should look into that. That's a good reminder. I don't know if I ever did. I remember on one stream, we kind of just started pulling up banks and started going through stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, yeah, I'm remembering that now as you say. I don't think I've ever actually looked, so I should do that. Um, any final any final takeaways maybe before we move on from Barry? Um, should we do the Barry up? Twitter, the, yeah. the recent chart that he put up? Oh, uh, can the do, one we compared yeah. NASDAQ to like the 2000s, blah, blah, blah. Sure. You guys. Saying that, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. So, was his point here that like possibly stocks are going to drop a lot more? So it's all technicals, right? He's just drawn that. Um, which moving average line is that? I can't see in the picture. I have no idea. It's on the top right. Like you can just zoom in and kind of. I guess my answer to that would be maybe. No, doesn't let me. <laughs> maybe yeah. it's like I agree maybe yeah not sure yeah I think we maybe covered this one a couple of weeks back or I did a video on it actually um, it's made several comparisons between now and 2000 but who really knows like reading these letters into and he, he was just ignoring the market and buying a bunch of cheap stuff he thought was cheap. So, um, yeah, I guess this is this is what he's maybe saying. He's seen a lot of that, a lot of similar stuff that he was sort of buying back then. I don't really know. Tom, keep it, keep an eye on Northeast. I'll send something uh, to you after the show. Maybe you can do a video on it if it piques your interest. But okay, it's a it's a very uh, unusually uh run bank so i want right. you to take a look at it i like those ones yeah I know. as long as it's run unusually in the, in the right direction yeah yeah um just just one other thing maybe on barry that i've picked up from these letters before we move on was just around volatility so um 
like I said earlier, I put up these screenshots of a of a speech that he did where he basically said risk and volatility aren't the same thing. Um, and he was essentially arguing against people who, um, you know, follow, I buy to, you know, efficient market ideas and, and that type of stuff. He said, you know, there's lots of, uh, there's lots of dollars in the stock market trading at a dollar ten, for example, like intrinsic value of a dollar, market price of a dollar ten, and um, since they trade so stable, it's kind of around that dollar ten. People like argue that they deserve that premium because they're so stable and that type of stuff. Um, Barry argues a lot in the letters that that's a way higher risk and probably lower return strategy than finding a dollar trading for fifty cents that the next day trades for forty cents and the next day trades for sixty cents and and so on. So even though that stock's way more volatile, he argues that that it's far less risky. So um that's something I'd heard a million times. I had don't know if I'd quite heard it described that way, but um that's something he reinforces a lot. I feel that's so similar to the saying that you know you never get fired for buying IBM. It's like it's exactly the same thing, you know. Yeah. You might now. I mean, <laughs> Probably now, not Amazon or something. <laughs> you never yeah. get fired for buying Amazon. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or or, or, or um, Apple or Microsoft yeah. or any of that. We can't say Facebook, Meta, whatever. I, I will say the whole thing about um, price is not value and um, a lot of people fall into that, you know. I, I will say, like, making that mistake, over the last couple of years, just watching other like quote unquote value investors, like people that pride themselves on quoting Buffett and following this style and all that and saying price is not value, watching their reactions to certain stocks. And then even in my own uh, investing, like I found the most difficult thing is to separate price from value and not fall into that trap and not think just because something's going up, it's doing better. This is doing better. And then just because something's going down, it it doesn't mean the business is is doing worse. As simple as stupid as it sounds to say that out loud, like that has been the hardest thing I've had to avoid on a continual basis. Like I have to fight it almost every day. And I've seen a lot of like people who pride themselves on not being the people that fall into that trap, fall into that trap uh, with certain stocks. So um, like you're saying, it's a common lesson, but it's something that can't be said enough because to me, it's the hardest thing to, to deal with as an investor. And maybe that's because the prices are thrown in our face every day, or maybe it's just human nature to think something's better because it's going up temporarily. But that's kind of one of the big, uh, big key factors here with this thing. Yeah, I like it. That's a great segue, Jason, into um, China. Let's talk about China. <laughs> well, I, I, I was going to say another, oh, another C word, um, Carvana. It's in a bit about it in, in this uh, in this episode. Well, I didn't want to chat about it, but you asked me what's on my mind, what am I doing? And I've been eating, you know, just eating some food and buying Carvana, like a lot. So not a lot, but a little. And I, I will say that, yeah, I'll, I'll speak frankly here, Tom. Like, I think a lot of people have just looked at the price drop of Carvana and kind of in their own mind have gone, oh, yep, they're done. That's it. And not really actually dug into the balance sheet or, and I'm not saying they're not done. I'm just saying, I think a lot of people have not, um, they've been very persuaded by the price drop. So what do you want to know? You want to know well, where you can get the, a car, Tom? We're not in New well, Zealand yet. So I want you to just hold <laughs> off, but maybe one day. Okay. Well, 
Well, I, I mean, of, like how they're managing everything. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people don't really get beyond the surface level understanding. So, yeah, if you want to get maybe, into it, yeah, maybe before <laughs> we get to, yeah. too into maybe before we get into too much of that, the nitty gritty. Like, can you just lay out the basic idea behind why you're why you're buying it here? <sighs> yeah. You sip here. Need a super investor sip. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I could just feel the pressure. Like when 99 out of 100 investors think you're wrong, and um, or 98, maybe there's one other person out there. But I will say first, let me talk about some super investors. Rob Vanal. It sure sounded from his meeting and his letter that he did not sell yet, at least. Um, so I found that to be encouraging. That he's kind of in the same boat I'm I'm in, which is like. Hey, this thing might still work out. So let's uh let's stay in there. So I mean, like my, my thoughts are obviously uh, like forget the stock price. The stock price is down ninety eight percent, or it had been until the recent run up. Uh, but that's different than the actual business. And one thing I think people miss with that price drop is like maybe it was an absurd crazy high that it got to and maybe that's why it dropped uh so much but as far as like the business goes it's kind of like the same boat i'm in when i bought at like 29 dollars a share or 25 dollars a share which is there's a decent sized chance this thing doesn't work out but if it works out to me it's worth the reward with like five ten percent of my portfolio and some reasons why it could still work out number one is macro um, through listening to the Carvana earnings calls and, and thinking it through, that jolt of interest rates we had in the United States going up very quickly, used cars was one of the first markets along with uh, real estate that just got absolutely crushed uh, before the rest of the market and the rest of the economy. And now we're seeing this kind of roll through the economy, like with a bunch of the tech layoffs and other parts of the economy get affected. But it hit the interest rate sensitive businesses first. And as we're kind of potentially plateauing with those interest rate rises, or at least the economy feels to be getting better, one kind of theory of this investment is it could not get as bad as people thought. And this could have been like as bad as it gets for used cars. So that was one thing that's giving me hope as I buy a little bit more here. Another thing of used cars are coming down and there was a serious inflation in the price of used cars that was like, way worse than the the price of almost everything else because the new car supply got crunched and there was a higher demand for used cars. As that chip shortage kind of gets better with the uh, new car market, more new cars are coming online, then there's more used cars. And what that does is it takes people off the sidelines and they go, okay, prices are coming down. I'm going to buy a used car. that, That can help. It's giving me some hope. A couple other other things that not a lot of the market is focused on. Um, they have assets. They have a bunch of real estate, and that can extend their runway. Um, the second thing is, for the first time in this co- this company's history, they're not focused on growth anymore. They're focused on profits. And where does that play out? Well, they don't have inspection centers uh, all over the country like they want to. Uh, later on when they grow. And so one example of that has been the West Coast. Until like recently, 
I think they opened Sacramento recently, but until recently, the closest inspection center uh, was like Phoenix or Salt Lake City or something like that. So that long shipping distance, uh, that increased, that decreased the profit per unit. And so what they're doing is they're focusing on more uh, profitable um, uh, transactions and they're changing the DNA of the company. And they've never focused on cash flow and focused on profits. And the market's just saying, nope, they're not going to be able to do that. And what I'm saying is maybe they have some runway to figure out how to do that now that they're focused on it. And let's see what happens. And I look at a company like CarMax, it's taking them a long time to get there. But in recent history, like the last uh, decade plus, um, maybe going back to 2008, they've made money selling used cars um, in, a, in a large part on the internet, even though they have the brick and mortar. Um, so why can't Carvana make money doing this um, as they kind of put that in their focus? Um, and then uh, the third thing is I've always thought like it would just take a few investors and I can think of some people that could give this company more runway uh, to get to the other side of it. I'm kind of thinking maybe that's not a possible scenario now that they've kind of done this poison pill thing. Uh, but that is one thing I was thinking of as of a few weeks ago. So basically I'm not writing them off yet. I think there's a chance they can get to the other side of this. And if they get, can get to the other side of this, I think the runway's huge because I think they're going to continue to get more and more market share. And I think it can really turn into like a huge home run investment. And for me personally, risking seven, 10, 12%, that went down to 3%, putting another 3% on there, doubling up my investment is to me, it's worth the risk uh, because of what could happen on the other side of it. So not, not blind that it may not work out, but I, I think it could, I, I really think it still could. What's your take on um, what Rob Vanal had to say about, you know, it was Carvana just shouldn't have been running with the levels of debt that they even currently do. And is is kind of, it seemed like he thought Carvana probably isn't going anywhere, but shareholders may get super diluted because they have to raise cash. Like, do you have a view on their shorter term cash flow, whether they might need to do anything there? Yeah, my view is what I was saying, which is we have, a couple things we have, I mean, some runway, we have some and we, cause we have this real estate and it, how much run runway do we have? Will they have to dilute a bunch? I have no idea it, because there's so many moving parts, the used car market coming back and getting that kind of tailwind back is unknown. I don't know to what extent that's going to happen and when, um, their ability to cut cost. I don't know. They say they want to be able to get to a, uh, break even EBITDA at this unit level. Um, I think it's about 400,000 uh, units a year. They want to get to a break even level with those units. How long will that take them? Can they do it? I don't know. And then if they have to get, or, and then the other thing is like, how much is their land worth? How much runway will that provide? I don't know. But then if it comes down to dilution, um, how much will we be diluted? I don't know. It's a lot of unknowns. Um, and then looking back, um, I really don't know if it was the right move to do what they did or, or not. I um, One thing I know is that I looked at Tesla's balance sheet the other day, and if I'm not mistaken, they have like a ton of cash compared to their debt, like a ton. And I think they, they did something like um, during 2020 or 2021 when the price finally went up like huge, I think they issued some stock 
I think. And I remember reading someone on Twitter. They said like, oh, game over. Tesla's going to make it. This really is a multi-bagger for people because they they were able to take that artificially high stock price and turn it into cash and secure the company. So like looking back, it would have been awesome during that 2021 if they if they had issued a bunch of stock and just built up a bunch of cash so the, the cash to the runway could be as long as we want it. And then their better business model could could continue to take market share and we could see the other side of this without any dilution or any risk of bankruptcy. Looking back, that would have been the move, but of course hindsight is twenty twenty. But um as companies that's go exactly from exactly what the father did, ahead. right? He sold at the top He sold some. He didn't sell all, but he sold um he sold some stock and I think it was two to three billion dollars, maybe like two point three or something like that. And one of my theories on this investment was like he still has a huge stake in the business and he would be he would want them to make it through this downturn and see the other side of it so the stock price comes back and he benefits and one thought i had as i had the confidence to buy like over the recent weeks and stay in it was that him or other rich investors like it would just take a handful of people like what do they need 500 million to to get through another year or a few more quarters or whatever like i i thought the market didn't realize that 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 could play out maybe that's not going to be an option now with this poison pill thing but that thought came from Tesla actually as well, because I kind of remember um, being in my old house and Tesla was just like going through a really rough time and people were talking about bankruptcy and all this kind of stuff. And then Elon did that funding secured t- tweet. And I remember thinking about the perspective of the short sellers at that time. And I was like, oh yeah, I'd never even thought about that. That like, if you're short selling, one of the risks you have to worry about, someone can buy, come in there and prop up the company or buy the company. And so just knowing that, yeah, you can issue more equity and um, there might be people who are incentivized to want to extend the runway gave me some confidence, but um, it's where we are now. So kind of not ruling it out yet, but I'm wanting to see what happens. So I'm staying in it and, and buying a little more. Yeah, I'm just I'm just bringing up some of the valuations on Tesla versus Carvana with the um, equity raise you mentioned there. I, I have no strong view on this other than I'll sit on the sidelines with um, with popcorn and just oh, I don't have strong you, Tom. Um, no, I don't. Okay, because I, I remember watching Punch Card a couple weeks ago when you were talking about Rob Vinal's uh, letter. Yeah, and I, I might have heard the phrase "it was a mistake." So I don't know if that's a well, strong. Those are, or... <laughs> those are Rob's words, not mine. But oh, um, was it really? Then I then I totally misunderstood you, and I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're all good. Yeah. Um, I'm just I'm just bringing up some of the. Like I say, some of the the prices on these equity raises. So it looks like Tesla got up to like twenty nine <clears> times <throat> sales and did an equity raise. What do you guys think of that? Isn't that good, right? To <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> it's the class. A lot of people don't like any dilution at all, but it's a classic Buffett where I think Tesla uh, went up every time they diluted the shareholders. Every time they announced that they're selling shares, the stock just flew higher. <laughs> Well, one, one reason why is because people, I mean, looking back, I wasn't smart enough to, to see it, but looking back, I think people could realize like, oh, they're going to make it then. Like if they can raise this cash and kind of control their own destiny and they offer something at the time, I guess people thought, and maybe still do, they offer a better kind of vehicle. And if they can just get to the other side of scale, um, they'll print money. And that's, if you look at, like I look at value line on Tesla, that's what they did. It's like, 
loss, 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 <laughs> loss, and then all of a sudden billions of dollars a year in uh in profits. Yeah. But even yeah. Elon has said that there were quite a few instances where Tesla was going to go bankrupt. I mean, it's literally right. been because of him, pretty much. That's how at least it's framed that the company's kind of survived. I mean, do you really see parallels between the Carvana father son team and Elon? Like, well, I think uh, I think the management at Carvana is totally the CEO. I think he's completely underrated um, by the market, and we'll see. We'll see if I'm right on that. But I'm not saying that um, they're Elon Musk or anything like that. The reason I brought up Tesla is because looking back, is there anything I wish they could have done? Like, was it right to go for scale instantly? It's just, man, if you can just issue a bunch of stock during the the high and kind of control your own destiny from that point, which I think Tesla did uh, to some extent. That's why I, th- I thought of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, it's just kind of one of those we'll see. And the crazy thing about it is like, if I'm right and we're here like a year from now and Carvana made it and the market came back, the used car market is what I'm saying when I say the market came back and they get to the other side and the stock price is just like a lot. Even at that point, was I will I have been right or was it a mistake to like double down on the investment? We're all going to have our own opinions and none of us is going to know the truth because of the survivorship bias and you play that role. You you roll those dice a hundred times. Times does something in macro go this way or that way and interest rates go up even higher in a different scenario. It's like hard to really know. It's just, it is risky. Yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't quite finish what I was going to say there on the valuation thing. I might just share this so people can get a feel for where we're at. But this is, uh, I just put up price to sales. I don't know if this is the best comparison for Tesla versus Carvana, but I thought just for simplicity to kind of see where they're at with, with revenue. But um, even at peak valuation for Carvana, they got to four times sales, which I don't know, people can argue about whether that's crazy high or, or not. But um yeah, that's like even with the big decline in Tesla, that's still at seven times sales. That just shows how crazy high value people put on that thing. But um, yeah, like you say, would have been much nicer for Carvana to raise some equity back here rather than at 0.03 times sales. It's higher than that on enterprise value basis, I think, because um, Carvana is pretty leveraged now by by the looks of it. But um, on a market cap basis, it's come down a lot. Yeah. I'm not going to agree with the numbers I'm seeing there um, as a Carvana shareholder. I just have to say that I, I don't, I think their valuation I think was higher than, uh, than those sales, that, that ratio. But uh, looking at it again, uh, I could be wrong. So I want to look into that. Okay. All good. All right. Any more thoughts on Carvana, Jason? Um, no, just, uh, it, it'll be very interesting to see what's, how this plays out. And I, the one thing is I, I'm not alone. Like, uh, someone's buying their stock in the last couple weeks. So I'm not alone. Someone's got to sit in all the seats. Someone's what? Someone's got to sit in all the seats. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, someone's, you know, buying at higher and higher prices more recently. So, so we'll see. Yeah. Actually, one thing I was going to ask you, Jason, was have, have you spent any time looking at the bonds? We've got a couple of people mentioning those in the comments. Um, those Most are trading at the bonds. fairly major discounts at the moment. 
Yeah, um, bonds are out of my um, circle of confidence, uh, but I have thought about it just because a lot of people are talking about it. And is this the way to think about it? Like um, if Carvana's bonds are trading down, whatever, like uh, down 50% or whatever they were have been trading down, and the coupon, like the yield initially was like 10%, does that mean like – you get a 20% yield instantly. And if it makes it back, you double your money. Uh, 30% yield. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, See, I just, just, yeah, I'm not in that mindset because like, yeah, I'm sure that's a lot safer than the equity because you own the bonds and you're higher up in the food chain if it doesn't work out. But when I think about something like Carvana, I want something to go up 30 times, 50 times. um, I, as opposed to like a a double. So it's a space I've never been in. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, yeah, I did just pull up the bonds here. Hopefully, you guys can see that. But um, yeah, the prices are down forty to fifty cents on the dollar. The, the, and the bonds are basically yeah. telling you that yeah, done. You know, like we're going to take over the company. I mean, that's what at least what the yield would suggest at, compared to the coupon. Tom, I want to I want to apologize. Yeah. Uh, I think the I think the price to sales ratio was correct, and the reason. That was so shocking to me is because how small the Carvana valuation was compared to the Tesla, which speaks to how high Tesla got. So that's why I was thrown off. But yeah, that was correct. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Next level. Anyhow, uh, Karan, what's your take on Carvana? Have we heard from the two people, the two companies that kind of hold the bonds, like 70% of the bonds are held by Polo and Pacific something, right? Yeah. Um, Something came out like a, a month ago. People, if people search like Carvana stock or Carvana bondholders de- uh, deal, uh, right. they made some kind of deal with each other saying that, like, okay, of this gang, of this group, no one's going to be able to go and um, work independently with Carvana, at least for like a year or two, however long their deal lasts. Um, but that's what's what's going on with that's what I've, I've heard about them recently. Yeah, because it feels like there are only two key kind of things which we can look at from the shareholder perspective it's the father son and then it's the bondholders what's it like either of them could kind of tip the scales in either way pretty much well there's i mean there's other uh well see i what i don't understand when that all that article came out about the bondholders and uh the market reacted very negatively to that um i i didn't understand why the market was so negative about that because from my perspective as like a Carvana shareholder who wants them to make it like we're either going to make it and we're going to pay your interest payments and we're going to honor our side of the deal or we're not. And you're going to take the, you're going to get the assets like fine, but in the interim, we're going to run our business and try to make it. And so I don't, I don't really know what, what say they have or anything like that. So I, maybe if it comes down to it and it's like, we can't make those interest payments and yeah, they get a say, but in the interim, from my view, like I, I don't think they get a say. So I think, I think that's correct, but the market for sure hated seeing that deal. The market's all over the place. So let's not try to infer stuff from the stock price. Yeah. That, yeah. That's a, that's the whole point. Yeah. yeah. I was reading um one up on wall street uh, by Peter Lynch with Quran and, uh, I'm pretty sure it was that book or maybe it was 
something else I was reading, but someone was saying like the market doesn't even exist. Like stop saying the market. Like it's not even a, a real thing as far as an investor should say, stay concerned. There's your business and the price that it's being offered to you. Um, so yeah, I'm, I think I want to get out of that habit of saying the market thinks this, the market thinks that hard habit to get out of because every time you turn on, um, news about stocks or read stuff about stocks, they're always saying the market says this. Yeah. What am I, Tom, am I too defensive here? I mean, you're going to say it's too hard. You just want to watch I it. Like the you got your popcorn, I, but, well, it, it is too hard. Conviction is really good, <laughs> for, me, yeah. for me, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you've done far more work on this than me, Jason. So, um, okay. I don't know. It's a, it's sort of one of those ones that I've always just dismissed very quickly. Like you know the sort of monish ten second test. It's yeah, too hard for me. Yeah, the high conviction bets is where you know you get your returns from. So, yeah, and the nice thing about yeah. being being your own investor is you can have a high conviction bet or you can have a you know, I'm going to take a shot bet, but it doesn't have to be a huge part of your portfolio. And absolutely, um, it's kind of what kind of even if you get like a 10x on this, like if it's a or 30 or 50 position, you do okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you I, basis on that, right? So, so yeah, right. Yeah, yeah racist is doing good, and um, that's. I mean, if if uh, if we have to pay tribute here, like we always do to Eunice. The cheapest stocks are in Turkey. So we're crazy for not even talking about that and looking elsewhere right now. We're just crazy for not talking about Turkey right now. So, Tom, if you want yeah. to talk about Turkey and not be crazy, we should talk yeah, about or, Turkey. But Or in um, Houston private markets. I heard there's some pretty cheap valuations as well. High um, cash flow yields going on in yeah, Houston. That's what exactly. I'm hearing now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to looking at like really beaten up stuff that's down a lot and has some funky debt and that type of thing. Like, we were um, chatting, I think, last week or the week before, maybe, Jason, about Curate and QVC. Uh, yeah. So that's something I've also put in the too hard basket. But I'm open to looking at that stuff. The trouble with Carvana is it's just it's never had the cash flows, and I I have no idea at all how to how to predict those out into the future. So yeah, I think the difference between Carvana and Curate for me is I look at Curate and I feel the same as Carvana. Like I don't know if it's going to make it. Like it it may it may not. Um, the di the difference there is like with Carvana, if if Carvana makes it, I think the payoff is like a lot higher than if the the payoff if Q rate makes it. Yeah, Tom, why did you pass on Q rate? Like, did you go through it recently? Or I mean, I know you've mentioned it in the past, but recently you said you kind of got into yeah. it. But yeah, I spent a couple hours on it. I think it was last week, um, just going through some of their latest quarterly results, looking through the debt a little bit. Um, all of those, like John Malone associated companies, it's really interesting to look at how far they've turned out the debt. It's kind of crazy, some of the stuff they've done there. Um, but it's just another one of these things where I have no idea where the cash flows are going. Um, Tom, so could, I, could I put your, let me guess the way you ended up with this one. You don't think the debt situation is that bad, like when you look at their warehouses, they're leasing back or whatever, and you look at the fixed structure of the debt or the the length of the debt. Like you think there's a good chance they can probably not go bankrupt, but you have absolutely no idea about the moat of their business and what their business is going to look like in five years. That's where I'm at. Does that sound familiar, or are you thinking different? Um. Yeah, uh, if I was going to have a, if I was going to take on a company with that level of debt, they've structured it probably exactly how I'd want to see it. 
Um, I just don't know how much cash the underlying business is going to produce. And that's the thing. It's like, yeah, maybe they can, maybe they can handle their debt for the next five years, but also maybe their sales continued to decline and they make hardly any money and the stock price doesn't go up because the business is in massive decline. That's where I've been. And I want to thank, yeah, I just want to thank the market real quickly because the stock price is up like 60% or something this year over like three to four weeks. So it did the work for me. And I just look at it and go, I go, I missed it. Thank you, Mr. Market. I'm going to be able to pass on this one now. Yeah. It's still way down though. I don't know where it's trading now. Um, yeah, it is. Two it bucks is. A share. I, mean, yeah. I mean, I was looking at this thing at 10 when they paid out a four or five dollar. Don't, don't say, let me tell you from past experience on the show, yeah. Tom, don't say things like that out loud. Why not? No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, yeah. I've, I've been there too, where like you look at something, you're like, oh, this is interesting. And then you wake up like a year later and it's like down 80%. And you're like, okay, it's more interesting now. Yeah. Luckily, Tom, luckily, the special dividend for like at four dividends. You just mentioned a $4 yeah. dividend. What was? Yeah, I was just going to say, luckily, I, I have passed on the vast majority of the times that's happened. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I'm going to put me on the spot here a little bit. I think they paid, uh, uh, SC actually will probably know the details of this. I see he's in the chat there. But um, I believe they paid a special dividend and then they um sort of spun a lot of the equity out into something like a 7% preferred stock. Uh, and that was worth the equivalent of about a roughly $4 a share dividend if you were to sell it. Wow. Um, I think that's ballpark what was happening. But this back then is like they've got a ton of debt. They're super leveraged. But if they can produce a steady amount of free cash flow for the next three or four years and they're buying back like – I don't know, 20% of the stock a year or something ridiculous. Like it probably works out well. Um, but they've had, I think, a warehouse burnt down and, um, you know, cash flows going to yeah, and from the last also the, quarter. Also, just the, the mode of that business, you know, like um, everything is kind of becoming content and shopping together. And no one's really like uh, yeah. cracked the code with that kind of stuff like they have in China, apparently like the live streaming stuff is a, a lot bigger deal uh, than it is here. But if I had to make a bet, like in the next five to 10 years, the big e-commerce players here, someone's going to figure out that kind of China style content plus sales e-commerce uh, business model. We're seeing Pinduoduo's yeah. app also like rank right up there, right? I think even in the American market. Pin, I'm, I'm, not, on Twitter. Yeah. I'm not sure if it, uh, it could be Pinduoduo, uh, but I know Pinduoduo has a, different company that sells e-commerce here in the United States. And I was reading an article about how people are it's buying like demo or something. D-E-M-U. Yeah, pe- yeah. People are buying like super cheap things on there. And I looked at it as an Amazon shareholder. I was like, okay, let me see what's at today. I was not worried. I I'm, I'm feeling good at Amazon. Yeah. Um, do you guys want to talk? Do you guys want to talk energy or uh, should we take some questions instead? Maybe I've got uh, some thoughts on Chevron and, um, and ring energy, but uh, maybe it's a good time for questions. Why don't you start with Luis's comment? But Chevron, go for it. Like, I think that's a good place to go. Yeah. Of. Well, Chevron just reported earnings in the last couple of days, right? I haven't looked at it too closely other than hearing some rumors about a very large buyback. Uh, yeah. I think their buyback, uh, 
maybe 75 billion or something like that, but it was uh, 20% of the market cap. I looked it up and it's not like they're doing that tomorrow, uh, but I think it might be more of an open-ended thing or a, a long-term thing, but they're giving themselves the option to do that. And uh, it's simply incredible. And you look at what the stock price of Chevron has done over the last year and Buffett's been buying it. He, I looked uh, today, he bought a lot in Q1 of 2022. So if you look at the one year, you can kind of see how much it's up. Um, but it's just, it's just amazing what they've done. And uh, one thing I've learned being in Ring Energy and then watching Buffett invest in Occidental and Chevron and more of the uh, kind of more mature oil companies that do have the cash flow at this point to um, do a bunch of buybacks is that in terms of watching a, an oil company's stock price go up and buying it to, to have the stock price go up, um, one thing that's really hit home watching those other ones and then uh, Ring is that the market looks buybacks and uh, the, this whole thing about PV10, Tom, we've talked about the reserves. I've seen very smart investors talk about that. And I do think that is how you value oil, oil and gas companies. And that's how I'm going to continue to do that. But in terms of getting the rest of the market to value your oil and gas company, it sure seems like producing earnings and doing buybacks and seeing those huge reserves come into reality uh, in, in the form of earnings that then you can do buybacks with. That to me is like, it's, it may sound obvious to say it, but I'm watching that move the stock price of Occidental and watching it move the stock price of Chevron as I was sitting there holding ring and watching the stock price go down and stay flat. And I was like, okay, you know, reserves are one thing, but earnings and buybacks are another. And I'm, I've kind of um, not evolved, but I've just learned more as a energy investor uh, watching that kind of dual track play out. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You, you could argue that it, potentially has to become PV12 or 13 or something if interest rates keep going up. But it reminds me a lot of investing in real estate companies, to be honest, where you've got like uh, the the lower quality end, let's call it in terms of cash flow with like a seritage where, where that's valued at a big discount to like the equivalent of a PV10, say for a real estate company, like their net asset value. Um, but as these businesses start producing cash and do intelligent things with it, that discount seems to close and potentially even gets premium sometimes. Like I've seen a few of these things trade at quite a premium to PV10, right? Um, just right there. Yeah. What was There's that? A lot of real estate stocks. There's a lot of real estate stocks that, you know, kind of were valued way more than their assets and stuff. Yeah, yeah because I think their shareholders would say, yeah, because we're getting the cash every quarter. Um it's a good insight, yeah. Yeah, and one other insight just on Chevron is, man, between Monish talking about cannibals and seeing what ha has been happening with Chevron, um, I have become a huge believer with buybacks. Like, I've, I'm redoing my checklist now, and, and one of the things I'm putting on there is like, is this a cannibal? Because I, I've just seen the magic of that happen uh, over and over now. Just a beautiful thing when you're a shareholder, knowing that if they produce the cash, to then go buy back those shares and they're doing it at something that's below overvalued, you, you can't almost help but have a good result with your stock price uh, and your return because it's just mathematics. So it's a beautiful thing to see. I'm, I'm really impressed with uh, what Chevron's doing. Yeah, I like it. Guys, uh, we've got to take a quick break from energy because we have um, quite a renowned local Texan businessman uh, who, who's just joined us that... I think we need to bring in uh, Mr. Jack Duffley. What's going on? 
yeah, the re- renowned Texan. He's taking over all of Houston. Hi, guys. <laughs> I just got back from uh, Atlanta for a work trip. Um, and I'm on my phone with not much battery left, so we'll see how this goes. Um, but thought I'd drop by to say hi. As we're talking about energy. Is, is that it? They have a lot of that here in Houston. Let's make it like I saw the intro. I'm gonna come back do the outro myself. (laughs) (laughs) What happened at the intro? Was it a mess? Uh, I just I just forgot to loop the overlay video, so we can. Oh, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that a couple times. (laughs) It's easy. It's easy to forget because Streamer doesn't default to that. Uh, but the, it, the, it, the, the best the best nicknames come naturally, and they they're just perfect when you say them. I thought of it tonight as I see you there with the camera pointing up and the and the suit on and the business travel. Let's make a deal, Jack Duffley. That's my Let's that's my that's my nickname for you. Let's feel, make a deal, feel, Jack Duffley. I feel like you said that at some other point, didn't you? Um, <laughs> oh, I've never said that in my life, and that's how uh, good that nickname is. No, you, you like gave me a nickname. Trip. We we did it. We did an interview or a collaboration at some point, and you definitely gave me an interview, and I feel like it was that. <laughs> well, gave, it's it's yeah. stuck. Congratulations but, on your deal, on your cash flow, and um, I'm rooting for you, Jack. And um, thank you. I've been watching your business journals and and really enjoy them. So good luck, and it's fun to watch. And you're going for it, and right behind you. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been it's been a fun. Um, definitely a learning experience and like really getting in the weeds and it's just, it's just fun to build. Um, and, and I think anyone, anyone in this group and, and, and surely in the audience can appreciate like the, the fun of like building, whether it be a portfolio or in this case, building like a, your own business or not. It's now my own, but someone else was building it. Now I'm taking over that and trying to build it further. So like just the building process is fun. So, um, and plenty to learn through it too. So, uh, and all the incentives are aligned because it's uh, uh, when you when you put a lot of money on the line, like you're you're incentivized to really uh, try and make it work. So um, part of my checklist, fire. part of my revamp checklist is does management or someone in control of the company, the chairman or whoever or large stockholder have a huge percentage of stock. And this really matters to them because I've seen maybe we can talk about some other businesses, but like stuff not work out. and it seems like that doesn't really happen that often when someone running the show has a huge vested interest in the company doing well, just like you do as a shareholder. So it's definitely interesting to see you uh, kind of share that perspective and seeing it kind of in real life versus uh, on a much smaller scale, but yes, the, uh, but, but right. it's real. Yeah, the stakes are yeah, real. You, at least if you scale it down, like on a net worth basis, if like, a large portion of your net worth is in one company, you're going to behave very differently than if it was just, you know, um, half a percent, 1%, like, you know, or just like a minority position. So yeah, I hear you there. Um, yeah. It's, it's definitely a different feeling. Um, it has me thinking about the rest of my portfolio of what to do with it there. Like my public stocks. I don't know if I want to, I'm depending on like what happens next, it makes sense to reinvest or to potentially go for another deal. Like would it make sense to just roll the entire public portfolio into another, another private business or this private business. So it's something I'm thinking about more each day um, because of that very thing. Um, let's make, let's make a deal, baby. Let's make yeah, a deal. Right. <laughs> right. I might come knocking if, uh, if I have to liquidate the portfolio, need more cash <laughs> and uh, if you could share the benefit or something. But yeah. Um, How, how's the time load, Jack? Like uh, how's that, how's that been? It's uh so I brought in a manager and like so I was gone these last two days in Atlanta and I, I was texting through it and like calling I, I do a check in twice a day with a manager now um in the morning and the afternoon 
in the morning to talk about what's going on today and then in the afternoon to like evening to talk about what happened uh what happened today how to go just we're kind of we're keeping tabs like all day um and that's allowed me to focus on other things both on the back end but also like I'm now in a position where I can kind of work on whatever I need to. I mean, not quite. We're still kind of transitioning. We're only at one week into this, but he's increasingly taking on more, you know, direct communication with our technicians. So if they have a problem, they'll go to him first and he can try and solve it, um, which takes it off of my plate. So I can now go maybe go sell for more business or whatever it is. Um, So yeah, just getting to more of that level to where we kind of have two uh, full-time I, I don't want to say owners because he's not technically an owner, but he gets a revenue split. So he's incentivized much like an owner, um, at least at this point, because since we're both trying to grow it. So uh, he's definitely incentivized to do that. Um, and it, it's great. So um, the thing is, it's great so far, I should say. We've had some hiccups already, of course, but like that's part of the process. Um, and it's just solving those, working on processes, um, making standards very clear with technicians, um, following up with customers that uh, so far Customers have been very happy and uh, I've been trying to spend a lot of time like actually calling cust- like happy customers be like, uh, hey, does it um, leave us a review, yeah. um, any feedback and all that. So I can like I can hear it from their end as well. Since I'm new to the business, I want to really get a good feel. I think customers appreciate the the, the extra touch um, uh, like like anyone would where you or an owner or management like reaches out just to check in. Then, yeah. um, uh, then if they like left a tip for the guys, I'll thank them for that. Um, just to you know, the, let them know that, that that they definitely appreciate it too. So, you know, just trying to trying to just trying to push it forward in whatever way. Build makes build, sense. build that moat. Uh, Buffett said at the yeah, cashier, right. the cashiers that sees candy, uh, just a little smile from the cashier, stuff like that builds yeah. the moat and brings them coming back. It is weird. So I've listened to a lot of uh, uh, Nick Huber. Um, he, his podcast is called The Sweaty Startup, um, and his whole thesis is like, uh, "Hey, that's your other that's your other nickname that I, <laughs> yeah. that I did not go with." So be happy. Yeah. With, let's make a deal, yeah. Jack Duffley. Yeah, it's a sweaty, sweaty Jack. Um, <laughs> the uh, uh, but his thesis is kind of like a lot of people get caught up on um, super innovative products or like kind of the Shark Tank model, where you have some product you're trying to the next moonshot trying to trying to take that to market and it's like a massive uphill battle and 999 out of a thousand fail um and then in the meantime people just completely overlook you know boring commodity businesses if you'll call that like carpet cleaning like i'm not i'm not innovating anything i'm just trying to provide a decent service because that's hard enough especially in a local scale maybe if we got to you know international scale for carpet cleaning it might be a different ball game but certainly on the local level, that's where you can actually build a moat, even with something that's relatively commoditized, like carpet cleaning, house cleaning, ba- those basic services, roofing, you know, stuff like that. Um, that's very hard to scale on a national level anyways, because you lose that kind of local local touch, where you're, especially when you're going into people's homes, where that actually does make, make a difference. Um, but anyways, his, his whole thesis is like, don't ignore that, because you can make you make good money doing that. Just say at a, at a small scale, you can ramp it up to medium and even large scale. And yeah, so yeah. Uh, I, I'm kind of glad I came came across that idea. I'm like, yeah, I guess that's right. Like, because I always used to think like, oh yeah, I'd love to run a business, but I don't have an idea. I'm just, I'll just wait for inspiration. But you don't find something that's decent, that works. Um, and you can, a small slice of, a, of an enormous pie is still plenty for one person. So you don't need to have the whole pie. Yeah. Um, contrary to what guys like Peter Thiel might say, uh, go for a monopoly. 
yeah, you don't need a monopoly to make good money. So it makes some and makes some difference at least. Are are you in your garage? No, man, I'm in my kitchen actually. Okay. Um, gotcha. <laughs> but here I am. <laughs> when are, when are we gonna get another um another cooking episode on your YouTube channel? Oh, that, I that, well, that. it's almost April Fool's Day, so it'd be around then, uh, April first. Uh, that's the annual nice. recipe video. I yeah, you reminded <laughs> me. I thought of that a few weeks ago. What am I gonna do this year? I don't actually know. Um, <laughs> so we did pizza last year and. Uh, souffle is the other year so i don't know what i'm gonna do this year <laughs> maybe maybe people can can suggest what's going to be on on the menu in the comments here well, it's got to be something i'm decent at so i don't know <laughs> i can't see the comments on my phone but um but yeah uh, I, i'm not in my garage though i guess it is because of the cabinet i'm i'm, I'm up towards the top of the cabinet this kind of looks like a garage like a bit. In the <laughs> yeah um so yeah I'm uh I'm about to die. I'm on two percent on my phone, so I, I should probably get going before I just get cut out abruptly. Um, but nice seeing you all. I I can't do the intro from here, Tom, or the outro. So uh, let's take it from here. Right, no you, I don't cut you guys off, but I, I gotta leave because I'm about to die. No, you're good, Jack. Thank thanks for uh, thanks for dropping in. We've also got um, Luis suggesting that you look like the Monopoly guy, another potential nickname. And oh god, <laughs> Monopoly! He has a top hat and like a mustache. Oh, come on! Yeah. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> uh, and yeah, oh well. I mean, and I'm literally like kind of bad mouthing the whole Monopoly approach, anyways. Oh, well, what's the motive for Bry thing? Like, or or is that Peter Thiel as well? Every business pretends that they're not a Monopoly when they are. And if they aren't yeah. a monopoly, they pretend like they are. Is, is, that, is that I actually have a monopoly in all carpet cleaning in the U.S. So <laughs> that, that's what I that's what I'm suggesting right now. <laughs> there you go. That was what I was talking about Peter Thiel. I think. Yeah, that sort of was. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I knew you talked about it before, but no. Anyways, alrighty. Good seeing you guys. Thank you you're free. And uh, thanks, thanks everyone. Me. See you. See you. Man, High energy deals, on the streets out there, yeah, doing deals, yeah. doing business. <laughs> yeah. Tom, look at you sitting back, going for ice cream. What are you doing, Tom? <laughs> Buy a business. Yeah, I'm trying. What are we all doing? Uh, yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're just, we're just sort of killing time between um, between good ideas, I suppose. But um, hey, that was great. We should that? we should we should add like live crosses to these. Um, to these episodes each week. We could get Jack out on the streets of Houston or something. Yeah, street interviews. Yeah. Yeah. We we could get you doing something in, in Oklahoma. Any good stories we, we could have had on tonight? Um no Tom. Okay. Yeah. One day. Let us know. One day. Yeah. Should we go through the QA? Like if- Yeah, let's do some questions. If people have got questions, pop them in the chat. I like uh, I like Eunice's uh, suggestion for uh, Jack. You can make some baklava. <laughs> Baklava. Also got Houston barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> We've got a comment about some moat building at Rex, but you probably don't need to talk too much about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh you guys seen any I questions that, in the chat uh, that you want to take? Who, who wrote that short on um it was that guy, right? Edwin Edwin Dorsey. He was talking about Rick and that was like a huge thing on Fintwit at some point. Uh, did he do a short report on? Oh, that? he did one. Re- he did one recently. No, it was a while back, oh, a few okay. months back. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's okay. So that's relatively recently. He's been very wrong on it. If it was a while back, I guess, but a couple of months back, yeah. 
couple months. A few months back. Yeah, okay. Okay. yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, street interviews in Houston at night is not a good idea. Fair, fair call. Um, right, any questions in there you guys want to tackle? Got lots of Carvana comments. <laughs> um, There's a question from Hodo Prime. Um, next portfolio update will be out in like two weeks or so, or ten days. For you, Karan? Yeah. Cool. Nice. Do you do those those monthly Karan? Or I mean, I try to, but like some months it kind of just falls through. Yeah, nice. Uh, any thoughts on recent earnings? We've covered um, Chevron. I'm not sure if there was there anything else you wanted to add to the Chevron conversation there, Jason, or or any other earnings people have been been seeing. Uh, I guess, but before we get to earnings, one thing I'll just throw out there is uh, had a bad experience with Gulfport Energy a few years ago. It went bankrupt, and I was a different investor then, but it, I made the investment um, and learned a lot from it. Ever since then, I've I've always said like natural gas is out of my circle of competence. Oil is in, and I'm just going to focus on companies that are predominantly oil. Uh, man, man, the price of natural gas is crazy. Like the whole stuff with the stuff going on in the world over the last year or two, like the price of gas got up to like seven dollars in the U.S. And this is natural gas. It's like down under three, which is like where I'm pretty sure it was around. Uh, when Gulfport Energy went bankrupt, maybe it was closer to two, um, but it's just crazy how quickly that price moves. And term people are bullish because there's going to be more LNG, and it's become going to become a huge from the U.S. and there'll be more demand for U.S. gas, and that'll keep the price up. But I guess we just have a ton of gas here, like because it's back under three. So uh, I've been seeing that. Nice. Um, Gulfport went public again, right? You haven't taken another look. Hey, at it everyone's having a good time, Tom. Everyone's having a good time. The the, <laughs> okay. the uh, people who own the stuff in the ground, the the farmers out there in Ohio, they're getting their royalty checks. The employees are getting paid. Uh, the new the new stockholders who were the bondholders or the debt holders are having a good time. Yeah, but the equity investors did not have a good time, and that leads into something about um. Uh, founders or not founders, but just people having huge stakes in companies. I what I, just watching Party City go bankrupt. I, that just to me, it's tied into people having huge stakes in the businesses because if everyone's having a good time except the shareholders, when something if I'm investing, I want a shareholder who will not be having a good time like me, who has a huge part in driving the company, and I'm I'm literally adding it to my checklist based on some like bankruptcy experiences. So um, yeah, they are public again and it'd be ironic if I invested in them one day. Fool me once. We'll see if that, that would apply. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, right. Any other questions we need to take there? I'm just for a few, but I'm not seeing too many. Um, got a super chat from Frank. Do you want to tackle that one at all, Jason? Um, how will you introduce your kids to investing i'm not uh have not been thinking about that much yeah yet. but i definitely will say if they have the inclination to invest which be an investor which they might not um every individual is different but like if they do 
there's definitely a benefit to showing getting them exposed to that stuff early and if, seeing if they're drawn to it and if they are letting them go through that learning process at a very very young age because i think monish has talked about this but like he's talked about this with with uh buffett's life like there's something about learning and i don't know if it's age three to five or five to ten or whatever but when you're a kid your brain connects the dots like so much faster and your brain is growing and becoming stronger and that's why kids can learn language so much easier than adults because once you become an adult it's a lot harder to learn so like you can definitely get an edge and help a kid become a great investor if they have the inclination for that if if uh they learn it when they're a kid so um definitely something yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about Luis has a good yep. comment. Maybe we'll we'll wrap up on this. Oh, sorry, Karam, were you going to say something? Yeah, have you seen them kind of be a little more entrepreneurial? Like, you know, have they given that sort of hint either of the kids? Or, meanwhile, one is two, right? Or well, they're very young, but I have uh, my older one. He's uh, very persuasive, and when he wants something, he's very much a salesman. And uh, if um, if he wants to continue watching TV, maybe Paw Patrol, maybe part of Paramount Plus, maybe part of Paramount Global. Things are going good, Karan. They're going good with Paramount Global and Warner Brothers yeah. this year. It's a whole new year, and they're going good. Yeah. Uh, but if he wants to continue watching that, and I say, no, it's time to go. We got to go do something. Instead of saying, he'll do like, no, no, and he'll do that. But then the next time he protests, he'll say, Dad, you can go. You can go work on your phone. Dad, you can go watch your show. So he's very thinking about the other person, thinking about the customer, and still trying to get what he wants. So you see stuff like that for sure. <laughs> you love to see it. All right, guys, let's wrap it up there. Thank you very much for joining, Jason. Uh, always good to have you on the show. Yeah, Thank you, Karan, for waking up early. I apologize that I got the time wrong and we, we kept you waiting a little, but I hope you got good plans for the day. Um, and thanks everyone for watching. We will uh, we will catch you all next week. Oh, I had this outro all teed up and everything and I've just screwed it up, but um, here we go. See you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in to Punch Card Investing. The contents of this show should not be used as investment advice or as a recommendation to invest in a particular security. Please consult with a licensed investment advisor if you need investment advice. All investments carry risk and the potential for monetary loss. Thank you and see you next week.